Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 85. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the inequity of your people. You covered all their sin, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. And God, we do continue to lift up your name in praise. And God, we claim the promise today that you are faithful, that you have never failed us. And God, thank you for your word and for the message that you have for us through your word. And as we continue to worship now, I pray that that your word would come alive in each of our lives as we look to you, as we lift you up and give praise to you, and as we commit our lives to obey and follow where you lead, as we dig now into your word. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship. Amen. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, as we continue our journey, you've heard it read this morning, and we're going to draw application from God's Word to our lives today. I think you would agree with me that that life is God's most precious gift to mankind. Uh, the past three weeks have been extremely challenging for me. Uh, I've had three good friends who died from cancer. I've had two very good friends die from COVID-related issues. I've had another mentor of mine, a dear, dear friend, who, who died from stroke symptoms. On the lighter side of all of this, it might make you question whether you want to be my friend or not. (laughs) But on the serious side, in every one of these instances, I have joined family members in crying out to God. We've cried out to God for healing and for life to be restored and continued in these dear friends of mine. In every situation, every single one of these situations, I have urgently and almost constantly prayed for my friends. Physical life is a precious gift from God. 
And we want to respect that gift in every way possible as long as life is in people, as long as people have breath. In addition to spiritual, physical life, though, in addition to physical life, there's also spiritual life. Spiritual life is precious in the eyes of God. You were created to live in relationship with God. And your relationship with God translates into a spiritual connection, a spiritual life. And Psalm 85 encourages us to pray to God for spiritual life. And I'm so glad that that's where we land today. 300 years ago, Jonathan Edwards said this, and I quote, When God has something very great for His church, it is His will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of His people. In other words, diligent prayer is essential for renewed spiritual life. There couldn't be a more relevant statement for our world today. In one sense of the word prayer is crying out to God. And there's an urgent need for us to cry out to God for spiritual life. Would you agree with me on that? In other words, we need to cry out to God for revival. We need to cry out to God for a fresh, new move of His Spirit in our lives today. And Psalm 85 is a prayer offered in very difficult days for God to restore physical and spiritual life to His people. The psalmist was calling on God to revive His people, to revive the spirit of spiritual relationship with God in His day. And I pray today that as you and I go away from here, we will have that same prayer. We'll have that same attitude about making whatever changes we need to make in our life to bring down spiritual renewal from God Himself. So what does a cry for life look like? What does a cry for spiritual renewal look like? Where do you start? Well, there, there, there are three things that the psalmist points out in this particular psalm to help us move our lives into alignment with God in order to pray and seek renewal in our life with Him. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we look for God's past blessings. We look for God's past blessings. Um, in verse 1, he says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. And so from the creation of everything that is, as, as you know, probably, God is God because he always has been. He wasn't created. He's not a created being. He is God. He always has been, He is, and He always will be. And from His creation, He has created mankind, people like you and me, and He's favored us. But unfortunately, God's people have a track record of failing to live in the bounty of God's blessings. And so the psalmist says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of 
Jacob. Why do people choose to live in any other place than in God's favor? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that anybody would not want to live in God's favor. And yet, you know and I know that the reality of mankind is that we're rebellious. We choose, rather than live in God's favor, to rebel against God. Every area of our life is infected with self-centeredness and selfishness that pulls us away from God. And so we choose not to live in God's favor, not to live in God's fortune. As the psalmist says, the fortunes of Jacob. In 605 B.C., in fact, if you're in one of our small groups, you know that we're studying in our small groups now, we're studying Daniel. And in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar was chasing the Egyptians out of Babylon. And on his path in chasing the Egyptians out of Babylon, he came upon uh, Jerusalem, he came into Israel. And because Israel had been an ally with Egypt, he wiped out Jerusalem. And when he wiped out Jerusalem from 605 B.C. to 586 B.C., he carried captives back from Israel to Babylon. Some of the brightest young men, some of the brightest young leaders in Israel were taken to Babylon, and they spent 70 years captive in Babylon. And then after 70 years... God restored the fortunes of Jacob. This may be where this psalm is set. This may be what the psalmist had in mind when, when, he, came, when he wrote this, this particular psalm. But God allowed Israel to return from captivity in Babylon and come back to the promised land. Unfortunately, history will tell you that Israel has a track record, and today Christians have a track record of because of our sin of rebellion against God, idolatry, um, not keeping the Sabbath, whatever sin you want to list, those sins have pulled us away from God and led us into captivity. God has blessed us and returned us to our fortune. We've come back, and that cycle has happened over and over and over again. Some of you have been around Palmetto Shores ever since the early days. And you know that God's blessing has been upon this church. I mean, we've seen hundreds of people come to personal faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel preaching of this church, through the catalytic worship services that we enjoy here, through the relational small groups that we have here, through the ministry opportunities that we have in this community and literally around the world. God's hand of blessing has been upon this church. And so today, along with the psalmist, we have reason to look back and to celebrate, to look back and give praise to God for what He has done in the midst of this church. And we know that there... There's no greater cause for celebration than having our sins forgiven. Look at verse 2. He said, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Then he says, selah. That selah means, think about this. 
pause here for a minute and think about it. So let me ask you, do you remember the time in your life when you gave your life to Jesus? I don't know that there's anything greater to celebrate if that has happened to you. I recently took some time and journaled over the past years of my life. I took five-year increments, and I wrote down the blessings of God in each one of those five-year increments. I would encourage you to do that. I mean, it's a great, it was a great exercise for me. It took me back to that time where I sat on that sofa in my home and heard the gospel and gave my life to Jesus. I accepted the fact that I was a sinner, admitted it. I believed that Jesus died for my sin. I prayed and asked God to forgive me of my sin. I repented of my sin and I turned my life over to Jesus. I don't know that there's ever been anything that created a greater sense of celebration in my life than, than that experience. And it was wonderful to, to remember that, to look back and count that blessing. And then there were scores and scores and scores of other blessings through every single phase of my life. I would encourage you to do that. The psalmist celebrated God's forgiveness. In verse 3, he said, You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. What was he talking about there? Reality is, God hates sin. And the reason God hates sin is because it separates you from Him. And God's preferred future for you is that you live in the bounty of a relationship with Him that's real and alive and vivid. And when sin enters into your life, that separates you from God. Even if you're a believer, the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you aware that that was written to believers? That was written to believers. When you sin, it breaks your relationship with God, even if you are a believer in Christ. And so the best thing that we can do is quickly repent of our sin, confess our sin, ask God to forgive us of our sin, so that our relationship with Him can be restored and renewed. Some of you here today need to receive God's grace and mercy for the first time in your life. Maybe you've, you've never trusted Jesus. You've never admitted that you were a sinner and believed that Jesus died for your sin and repented of your sin and said, okay, God, I give all my life to you. Today can be a day of rejoicing for you, a day of celebration. If you'll open up your life and say yes, to the gift that God offers you through salvation, through Jesus. But if you are a believer and you know that there's unconfessed sin in your life, repent of it today so that you can claim the blessing of God and the relationship that He wants to have with you and allow that relationship to control your life again. You can experience something to celebrate today. So what does a cry for life look like 
Where do you start? Well, you start by looking at God's past blessings. He has provided everything that you need for abundant life. It's your responsibility to receive it and apply it to your life. Now look at the next step. Secondly, in verses 4 through 7, look for restoration and revival. Look for restoration and revival. Verse 4 is a cry. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. So the psalmist was humbly requesting God's favor. And he knew that God's favor would come to him through restoration, through repentance. God's indignation is turned towards sin always because sin separates you from God. So let me ask you today, do you want to be free from the burden of God's wrath? Do you want to be free from the burden of God's indignation? He turned his hot anger against, listen to this, himself. So that you and I might be free from his wrath, from his indignation. God chose to become one of us. And rather than turn his wrath against us, he turned his wrath to his own self, to Jesus. And Jesus hung there on the cross and died and suffered even though he lived a perfect life. So that his perfect precious blood could pay the price for the penalty of your sin, to take away your sin. So the psalmist asks two rhetorical questions then in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, will you be angry with us forever? The obvious answer to that is no. God doesn't want to be angry with us forever. The second rhetorical question, will you prolong your anger to all generations? Again, the answer is no. No. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul puts this in perspective. Here's what he says. But when the fullness of time had come, will God be angry with us forever? Will God prolong His anger to all generations? When the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you see it? In God's great mercy, He's offered us His grace. He's offered us the opportunity to be one of His own children. Everybody is not a child of God. Until you come to the point in your life where you admit that you're a sinner... And believe that Jesus died for your sin and repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus. You're not one of his children. 
Sin has separated you from Him. But God has His arms open wide and He abundantly invites you in the fullness of time, that's now, that's now, to come to Jesus, become one of His children. And God's completed work for your, your life is the greatest blessing that you have in life, and that's the gift of Jesus, the gift of Jesus. So our generation has direct access to God through Jesus. But here's the question. How could that relationship ever grow cold? How could that relationship ever lose the flame that God initiated in your life when you first became a believer in Christ? Well, obviously, humans are selfish. Humans are are, are self-serving. And that selfish nature kills our relationship with God. It's like pouring water on a fire. When when you become a believer in Christ, God builds a a fire in you that is uh, just burning brightly. But because of the pulls of this world, the circumstances of this world, the self-centeredness that we have, We allow that fire to burn down. We allow that fire to be doused by the things of the world. I was walking my dog recently at lunch, and there was a lady that had her two big dogs in the park. My dog's a very little dog, and um, she came screaming, and I I didn't know, had I done something wrong, you know, but she came screaming, and I thought she was talking to me, and she was. And she said, "There's there's a turtle that, is caught in a trap and he can't get out and I've got these two big dogs and I can't help him. Will you go help him? And so I said, sure, I'll go help him. And so I took my dog home, locked him in the house, got in my car, I was driving back to work anyway. And so I found the little backyard or front yard where the turtle was trapped. And when the, when the lady was describing it, I mean, I pictured this great, great big monstrous turtle, you know, down in a, in a manhole or something like that. And so I'd grabbed a shovel uh, right before I left my house, and I didn't know what, I, what to expect. And so I get there, and the turtle is trapped in a little soccer net in the front yard for little four- and five-year-old kids to play. And I don't know what you know about a turtle, but a turtle, when a, a turtle goes forward, his neck sticks out, and this turtle had stuck his neck through the front of that net, And a turtle doesn't have a backup gear. And so he was just working away trying to get out of that net. And I do believe he would have died. He would have have worked himself to death trying to get out of that net. I walked over. I picked up the net. And I kind of took my foot and turned the turtle. And he turned over on his back. That's another principle. A turtle can't do anything on his back, you know. And so I flipped him back over and... I'm I'm not kidding. He was like a jackrabbit. He went straight into those bushes. He was free. You know, sin is like that trap. You and I are struggling through life and we get lured into the trap of sin and we can't help ourselves. Have you ever seen a picture of a turtle on a fence post? (laughs) You know if a turtle's on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. (laughs) I don't care how you were lured into sin or how you got to the place where you were in sin but you can't get yourself out 
But God has graciously provided His way for us to be set free from the net, set free from the lure of sin. Sin traps all people. We can't get ourselves out, even believers, when we get trapped in the net of sin. Jesus is there to rescue us. Now the psalmist knew the solution to sin. Look at verse 6. He says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Here's a principle of life. There can be no rejoicing in life, true rejoicing, without spiritual life. So I plead with you today to look at your life, to look at our church, and pray that God will restore us. Pray that God will send revival into our hearts, into our life, into our church. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Skip down to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God doesn't want to leave you bogged down in sin. God doesn't want to leave you dead in trespasses and sin. If you've never come to the point where you've never trusted Jesus, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And God wants to bring you to life in Jesus. So give Him your life today. Trust Him today. And let Him restore life in you like you've never had before. If you are a believer and you've fallen into the trap of sin, you're stagnated in that sin. Let God rekindle that fire in you again by confessing your sin to Him. Verse 6 in Psalm 85 says, Will you not revive us again? See, God wants us to rejoice in Him. And that means He wants to give us spiritual life. Only God can rescue for sin, and only you can receive that gift that He offers. That's where revival begins. And I pray that you'll join me today in seeking that revival. So what is revival? Let me just give you five quick points You may not want to write these down, but I'm going to ask you a question after each one. Listen carefully to what Jonathan Edwards says about revival. Revival is a restoring back to the fullness of life, that which has become stagnant or dormant. Does that define your spiritual life? Are you stagnant, dormant in your spiritual life? Here's the question. How vibrant is your spiritual life today? When people pass you on the way of life, does the vibrancy that you have for Jesus come out and affect their lives? 
The second question Jonathan Edwards asked about revival is, revival is rekindling of a spiritual life in individual believers and churches which have fallen into sluggish times. Mm. I don't know about your view of what's going on in our world today. But I can't help but diagnose sluggish times in the life of God's church, in the life of His people. So how hot is your spiritual life today? What is revival? Number three, it's a return to fresh and vivid emphases on the holiness and righteousness of God, His judgment on sin, true repentance, and the overflowing effect of personal conversions to Christ. When's the last time you confess sin to God? That's the beginning of renewal, is confessing sin to God. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone who is far from God. Fourthly, what is revival? It's a supernatural work of God in which He visits His people, restoring spiritual life to their hearts as well as ushering salvation into many souls. So again, when's the last time you held your hands open and life open to God and said, God, take me and use me? For your glory. Take me and use me. For your glory. And finally, what is revival? It's a sovereign work of God in response to the prayers of His people. Leaving a lasting mark on His work. So here's how this looks in our life today. Billy Graham said this best. The late Billy Graham said, and I quote, God is the author of revival. Christians can prepare the atmosphere through our earnest prayer, exemplary living, and being contrite and humble. But only God can revive the spirit and revive the heart of a person. Spiritual awakening will create moral stamina and consciousness, bring back the sanctity of the home, make marriage an institution instead of an experiment, and strengthen the bulwarks of freedom and bring integrity back to the people. Individually, revival can come only as a result of vital personal relationship to God. In society, revival can be felt only as individuals interpret their faith into a language of everyday life and live faith that they profess. End of quote. Billy Graham had it right. Jonathan Edwards had it right. Not only are we challenged to worship God in the house of God, but we're challenged to live out our worship 24-7, 365, wherever we go. Whoever is around us, no matter what the circumstances are around us. We desperately need revival today. So we cry out to God. We cry out to God. Look at verse 7. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, And grant us your salvation. The picture here is a picture of 
God's covenant love, God's steadfast love. See, God's love is not dependent on how you treat Him. God's love is not dependent on anything we do or anything we say. God's love is ever-flowing. He is love. He's unchanging. And so only God's covenant love can bring salvation and restoration, the psalmist is saying. He's crying out for God to show us that covenant love, that steadfast love, to grant His salvation to His people. It's a cry for restoration through God's grace. It's a cry for restoration through God's mercy. What is God's mercy? God's mercy is saying, God, please don't give me what I deserve. (laughs) I deserve hell. I deserve punishment. But because of your mercy, you've chosen not to give me what I deserve. But then God's grace is God giving me more than I really do deserve. He's giving me better than I deserve. And that's what the psalmist is praying for. He's praying for God's steadfast love and appreciation of God's salvation. Thank you, God, for giving us your mercy and your grace. So what does a revival heart look like? Well, it starts when we look at look, look for God's past blessings and then it continues with looking for restoration and revival and finally this morning look for the promises of God look for the promises of God we see that in verses 8 through 13 verse 8 says let me hear what God the Lord will speak for he will speak peace to his people to his saints but let them not turn back to folly Fullness of life comes to those who hear and obey the voice of God. Who hear and obey God's invitation for us to come to Him. Cast our life into His hands. Let God use our life for His glory. That's where fullness of life comes from. So how does God speak to us? Well, God speaks to us through His Word. Are you aware of that? You read His Word every day because you want to hear the voice of God every day. Every day, when I open God's Word, I say, Okay, God, what do you want me to know about you? What do you want me to know about me? Show me how I can take this part of your Word and apply it to my life. Guide me today through your Word. God speaks through His Word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through other leaders. He speaks through a community of faith like this. God is faithful to speak. The question is, are we listening? Are we willing to obey? Are we willing to apply His Word to our life? Or, we have a choice. Are we listening to the voices of folly? You see it in this verse, in verse 8. Let them not turn back to folly. See, we have a choice. If we listen to the ways of this world, the voices of this world, we're not going to be joyful. We're not going to be at peace. We're not going to be satisfied with our life. 
Folly is the opposite of commitment and obedience to God. So how easy is it to get confused, get so confused and disturbed by the voices of this world when the voice of God is calling us to peace? The voice of God is calling us to security and confidence in Him. Are you listening to the voice of God? And living in peace? Or are you listening to the folly of this world and living in turmoil? The voice of this world screams at us in all kinds of forms. It screams at us through media forms of all kinds. Are you hearing voices today threatening your popularity or power or possessions that you might think you own? that are shaking your peace and shaking your satisfaction to life. The only way to live in peace is to trust God and obey Him over the voices of this world. And that's what Revival Spirit calls us to today. In verse 9, he says, Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. This is a promise. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. The deepest longing of every believer is to live in relationship with God and allow the overflow of our relationship with God to share God's glory with the world around us. I mean... That's the best life gets, the best it gets. And that's what God invites us. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. That glory may dwell in our land. How many of us have looked back on the last 18 months and said, what is our world coming to? What is our world coming to? When we ought to be looking at How can God's glory shine through me in this dark and desperate world? Surely, in reality, it is desperate in this world. It always will be. Don't fool yourself. But the glory of God can shine through you and bring light to the darkness in this world. That is what revival is all about. We saw last week in Psalm 8410, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The folly of this world or the presence of God. We have a choice. And in verse 10 of Psalm 85, he says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Here's what he's saying. You can't go anywhere without seeing the faithfulness of God when you're living in relationship with Him and in His favor. He's looking down. He's looking up. His favor is everywhere. It's a promise from God. When God is exalted, His radiance shines. And for some reason, He's chosen for His radiance to shine through every single one of you who who know Him. That's the best life gets. That's what life is really all about. God has done His part. He's faithful. Look at verse 12. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. 
And our land will yield its increase. This is not a prosperity promise. There are going to be tough times that we live through. The writer of the psalm here was living through tough times. This is not a prosperity promise. It's a promise of God's presence being with us wherever we go. It's a promise that God is going to use us to shine His light and glory in this world when we walk with Him and are faithful to Him. So look at the promise in verse 13. Righteousness will go forth, go before Him, and make His footprints away. This psalm literally comes to life today through this last verse. See, righteousness is according to the dictionary, acting according with, in accordance with divine and moral law, free from guilt and sin. So what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The psalmist is pointing toward the footsteps of the way. Abraham believed God, and the Bible says it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. David took a sling and five little stones and went up against a giant. And he looked at the giant Goliath and he said, You come to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you how? In the name of the Lord. That's righteousness. Not his power, not his accomplishment. God's power, God's accomplishment. John the Baptist said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. Make his footsteps away. And Jesus completed that when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So righteousness, God's righteousness, can clearly be seen in His people. Let that settle in your heart for a minute. If the righteousness of God is going to be displayed in the world today, God has chosen for that righteousness to flow through you. Is that not the greatest privilege on planet Earth? To, to know God and to know that His glory is living in and through your life and my life. It's all about Him and His glory. So while He leaves you here on this earth, I challenge you, pray for God's spirit of revival to fall fresh on you. Pray for God's spirit of revival to bring life to embers that may be not glowing very brightly. I said it before, let me say it again. God's precious gift to mankind is, is life. His most precious gift is life. One day, just like the six friends of the last three weeks for me, you and I are going to die. We're going to die. We're going to stand before God. 
The very encouraging thing about all six of my friends is this. They, they all knew Jesus. They all had professed their faith in Him to forgive their sin. And now for them, death was just a doorway to eternal life for them. And I pray that that will be the same for each of you. Are you living in that promise of God today? Do you have the assurance that you know Him and that in spite of your failures, in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your sin, when you confess your sin, He forgives your sin and restores you. And He wants to be the bright light in the world that brings hope to the world shining through you. By way of application, let me just suggest three things. Number one, God has blessed in the past. If you've never sat down and journaled and looked back at the blessings of God in your life, I just I challenge you to do that. Look at the blessing of God in your life. Secondly, God will restore everything in the future. Verse 13 says, Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. Jesus came to this earth the first time. And just as surely as He came the first time when most people were not looking for Him and most people did not even accept Him, He's coming back again. He promised us that. So make sure you're ready for Him. He's going to restore everything. Let Him restore you today. And finally, God gives hope for revival and restoration today. And the hope of the world is Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you have chosen to shine your light into this world through the people sitting in this room today. No exception. You demonstrated your love for us in that while we were still sinners, you, you came and lived a perfect life and you shed your blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. You died for us. You arose again to give us life and eternity and secure the promise that one day you're coming back again so that we can live with you forever and ever and ever in perfection. We claim that promise today, God. I pray that not one person will leave here without saying, God, I want the prayer of my life today and every day to be, God, thank you for what you've done in the past. God, thank you for revival and restoration that will come to those who diligently seek it in your time and in your place. And God, thank you for your righteousness, your grace, your mercy that can be the testimony of our life as we walk up and down the the streets of this neighborhood, the streets of our community. 
God, make a difference in this world. Shine your light in this world through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.